time to talk about the English game. <laughs> it is dumb. It's not, though. Can we make that the theme song sure. for today? Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add it to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favourite podcasting app. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who on the football field is a genius, but away from it, he's a puzzle. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. That's right. 4,000 pieces, all sky, no corners. Buckle up. Oh, he's one... (laughs) That's just one of the many fine lines of dialogue from the English Game Episode 3. Yeah. Yeah. They're laying it on thick, baby. There were not so many zingers in this one. No, no. There were a lot of trudgers. I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of very um, on-the-nose lines. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about Fergus's headbutt. Hey, nicely done. Nicely <laughs> done. Strangely, I enjoyed this episode more than the last episode. Uh, I, I am still in on the English game. I'm just, again, like watching it as entertainment and not like stimulating drama or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the way to do Mm. it, right? I think it's better if we poke fun at it a little bit rather than take it all too seriously. Because last episode was all about the strike, right? I felt like there was some drama in that episode Mm -hmm. and we're building towards a strike and like who's going to do what and how's it all going to work out. This episode, literally there's um, uh, Fergus accepts the offer from Cartwright to move Mm -hmm. to Blackburn. And then we just wait for the rest of the episode, yep. and it ends with him walking to Blackburn. Yeah, it's strange. The Everything pa- in between is sort of filler. Right? Yeah, and, and and also strange pacing because it like some scenes like the one with Betsy where she's like, I don't know if I can work anymore. I might go to uh, what's the name of the the women's uh, like like uh, abused uh, abused women's shelter? Not abused, but uh, Brookshaw. Thank it's you. Basically, for for women who have quote unquote sinned. Yes, yes. Uh, but like, it was like, well, I might go there. And then the next scene is her being there. Like the pacing yeah. in that sort of way was like very quick. And then Fergus says, I'm going to go play for Blackburn. And that becomes what, like the beginning and end of the episode. It's basically bookended by that decision. And then everybody yeah. finding out. It's basically a transfer saga. Yes, right? yes, it is. <laughs> it's the tra- 1880 transfer saga. But it's the weird thing. Like my wife was making this point that it still seems like a show that doesn't quite know what it wants to be because it is like kind of lighthearted at times. And it's very much like the good guys do good things and things end up okay but then also miscarriages and unwanted babies and harsh treatment of single mothers it's just like okay so we're doing some real historical stuff and delving into some deep issues but then also like and now some football my wife made the point that you and i are putting more work into this show than perhaps julian fellows did i think you are i think you watched this episode (laughs) twice right I, I did, yeah. I watched it with her last night, and I was really... She she had some cutting comments. It was a bit Mystery Science Theatre 3000 watching mm-hmm. it with Shannon last night. I'll so I thought I'll... I didn't want to be too swayed by her dislike for it, so I decided to watch it solo 
to try and get more of a, a level-headed view. Turns out she was right. <laughs> well, I'll say this about it. Like, it is, like, United Passions, I said this on the, on the show earlier in the week, that, like, it's the only movie I've really, I think I've ever watched where I was like, okay, when is this over? How is there an hour left? <laughs> How is there 40 minutes left? It has been an hour since last I checked the time. I don't have that with the English game. Like, it ends and I'm like, oh, I could watch another one, but I won't, but I could. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it definitely keeps, keeps you wanting to watch the next one. They te- tend to end on the dramatic note pretty successfully. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Should we get to, should we get to it then? Let's do we'll it. Go, maybe we'll, we'll go through it chronologically once mm-hmm. again. We start in Glasgow. We're up in Scotland. Which is not a footballing paradise, it turns out. It is actually just uh, stoned, uh, like stony, cold, uh, depressing Glasgow. Yep, tenement buildings, mm-hmm. right? So it's Fergus visiting his family. His mom's got the black eye and his dad definitely has the uh, the red nose and cheeks of a drinker. Mm, yes, yes. They, they set that one up really well. Yeah. But his dad maybe is red in the face from the drink, but maybe red in the face because Fergus is getting paid, Daryl. The shame. Yeah. The shame of it all. So actually, I want to get into this. The entire point of the English game yeah. is about how football changed in the 1880s and people started getting paid, right? Uh so that's that's the whole point of the show, mm-hmm. right? That's the story that we're being told here. And we've seen it from the side of the the upper class gentlemen who don't think um, working class people should be getting paid to play because this is a gentleman's sport mm-hmm. and all that. And even if you disagree with that perspective of, you know, Canard and friends, at least you understand it from their perspective, right? Because they don't need the money. So yeah. it, it's fine. I found it really hard to understand... Uh, 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 Suter seniors <laughs> uh, distaste for people getting paid to play football. So did I. Um, I. I would never have dreamt of letting a man pay me when I was playing, he yeah. says. And I really wanted to know why? Why yeah. not? Take the money. He added. He added. I'm ashamed, and I and I I I also thought it was a strange line to then end with. I'm so ashamed. I'm going to go punch your mother in the other eye. That seemed Oof. that seemed a bit over the top. Uh, but like, Oof. yeah, I, I found like really wife beater. Like you're ashamed of that. Like okay, yeah. cool. But I I think like all I can figure is that this is a a British production, and they don't maybe want to hit the American dream idea so hard, or like it's just not as prevalent of a thing. But this felt like. You have, as you said, the aristocracy saying like, oh, like it's a gentleman's game. We shouldn't have to pay you. And this felt like his dad of the previous generation being like, well, this is how we did it. You shouldn't buck the system. You shouldn't be fighting against it. You should be ashamed that you're challenging things. It felt like that's what they were trying to set up. But really, I think what they were trying to set up is his dad is so like so against making money that Fergus is going to have to do something to provide for the family and make sure they're secure. I mean, yeah, it's sort of um, it's set, it's driving the narrative essentially, yeah. right? But I do, and I understand that it, it's more interesting drama if it's not all of the working class people together demanding to be paid. Mm-hmm. I would just like to know the dad's rationale, right? Yeah. The only one I can vaguely see is that um, uh, Fergus is getting paid and his teammates aren't, and mm-hmm. quote, they work just as hard as you, unquote. But my answer to that is pay them all instead of instead of just the one guy being paid. I would say maybe if the dad was more open to being yeah. paid, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be sleeping in the narrowest room in Scotland, yeah, right? The narrowest, grimiest room since train. Spotting is what I'll yes. add to that. Yeah, it felt like it felt like they found the set from Train Spotting and were like, "Yeah, that'll that'll do. It's fine. Oh. We can use the interior setting." I also um, fittingly, uh, Fergus goes very Begbie later on. He really does. He really <laughs> does. Well said. I um I've been listening to some old episodes of uh, the Blank Check podcast, which you know that I enjoy, and they yeah. were they were uh, I, I find myself really enjoying their Rise of Skywalker episode. They tear into that one a little bit, but they tell the story about how I guess Ian McDarmon when he was playing Palpatine sort of like went to George Lucas and was like, "Can you like what is this?" character and he's like well he's bad he's like yeah i get that like i need something and what it ended up being is that like there's that scene where they're in 
like the opera or whatever when he's talking to young mm-hmm. Anakin. And so he took away like, well, I guess he's a patron of the arts. And like he just tried to find something to make that character more human. And it would have been nice if they did that with Fergus's dad of like, just I need a little bit of like, I haven't been getting work or something. So you yeah, see he's more. Too, he's just too, too much over of the a top. villain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's too much. It's mm-hmm. too much. Um, anyway, we go back to Blackburn. Let's do it. Yeah. We go back to Blackburn and the Cotton Masters Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Martha um, serving tables at the Cotton Masters Club. Martha is uh, uh, Fergus's potential mm-hmm. girlfriend. Um, and we see her potential girlfriend? Yes. Yeah, so we see her interaction mm-hmm. with Cartwright. You had suggested in the past there was some sort of former relationship. I think you had suggested maybe he'd assaulted her in some way, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I want to give you partial credit. Yeah. I think there's just there's not an assault, but I think there's a former relationship that yeah. ended badly. Yeah, I, I thought so too, uh, and I think that's probably the way it went. And then I also speculated that maybe he was the father of Becky's child, but she went on record as saying that he is not. It's it's yes. some fella who joined the military, and that's it. Charlie Brand joined the military and is the dad uh, jumping took ahead. The, but yeah, took so, the king shilling. So I guess it's just just yes. the queen shilling. Excuse me. Yes, I guess it's just supposed to show that like Martha cares about people. She takes her in. She helps her go. Uh, to is it? Uh, forgive me. Is it Brock Hall? Brook Hall? I forgot uh, to write Brooke down the name. Thank you. Uh, Brooks Hall, right? Where Brooks Peck lives. Uh, Brooks <laughs> Hall. Um, yeah, and so I think like, maybe it's just establishing her as a better character. But then we get the backstory of Nutmeg uh, causing heartburn, which I didn't know. We stay away from nutburn, uh, Nutmeg now. Well, if you're Cartwright, it does. I, I wondered if um, they deliberately used nutmeg because it was a football term, because they were just desperate to at least have some football references in this very football-like football show. I sure hope not, because if so, that would be pretty lame. <laughs> but that is what it comes from, right? Isn't didn't we do the research and that's like one of the maybe apocryphal stories about nutmeg that it like or where that term comes from in soccer is that it refers to something with nuts, I think. Or like you used oh. to like hide you used to like pr- like uh have counterfeit nutmegs that would like be fakes fakes or something like that and that's maybe where it comes from. I thought it was just because it rhymes with legs. We had this whole discussion we at did. the time. We right? did. No I think there's re- a couple different no stories. No one really knows. Yeah, well. No one really it's knows. in there anyway. Uh, it's in there anyway. Um all right, then we there's a lot of cutting back and forth mm-hmm. in this. We yes, there now is. we see Kinnaird at Monkeys, that's his friend, mm-hmm. uh, still up in Blackburn. Basically, Alma says, I'm sticking around here when you go back to London. Then there's an awkward walk in the garden. And then Alma notes that trees live a long time. I mean, she's not wrong. She is correct. She's not. That was, what a except, scene. except she said like 200 years. Like, I'm pretty sure yeah. tree, trees live longer than that, actually. But yeah. Depends how well you take care it's of them. It's whatever. It's whatever. It's true. Those seem <laughs> was to there, be very was well there, taken care of trees. Was there anything else to this scene, or apart from setting up the idea of the trees, which obviously comes back later on um, as Kinnaird's yeah. idea to uh, memorialize Henry, was there anything else of value in this scene, or yeah. is this just sort of a functional scene? I think you're still seeing like the distance between. I think it was meant to convey that there's still the distance between them. They're not talking about the the, the miscarriage and the the, yeah, the death of their they're son. Walking- they're walking along as if social distancing is enforced. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But you still see the moment like he kisses her hand. There is that moment of like sweetness, tenderness between them. So, you know, there is still like the connection there. They're both yeah. just sort of processing it in different ways. And that's sort of the, the narrative of the episode, right? Is how they're both processing it and how they end up coming back together. To I mean, narrative sort of is together. a narrative's a generous term. Yeah. Yes, that's, that is true. <laughs> the, the things that happen in this episode. The brief scenes that very clearly paint the picture of their processing things differently, independently, and then eventually together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm ready to move on if you are. Uh, yeah. Because we, back in Blackburn, um, as Cartwright is leaving the Cotton Masters Club, Fergus has taken the train down from Glasgow to Blackburn. And I find myself wondering, does Darwin have a train station or do you have to get off in Blackburn and walk to Darwin? Um, what I found myself what, wondering was how expensive 
expensive were replica trains from that era, and is that why we never see them and instead only see carriages to and from the train the train station? <laughs> that, that's probably true. That's probably true. Um, so Fergus waits outside for Cartwright mm-hmm. and tells him, "Yes, I will take your offer of a hundred pounds a week and then six pounds a week to play." I also did some um, inflation uh, calculations on this. Mm-hmm. Six pounds a week. Can you guess how much that would be now? I think ten pounds was twelve hundred, right? So it'd probably be seven hundred and fifty dollars. You're not far pounds. off. Seven hundred and twenty-five ish pounds a week. There we yeah. go. There we go. Yeah. All right. So not bad. Make that money, not Fergie. Bad. <laughs> but don't give it any. Don't give any to Jimmy. Which is worth noting that he and Jimmy, I think, historically would split it at uh, at Darren. So now he's getting it his own. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you surprised that Fergus never said? I mean, I know this didn't happen in real life, so maybe they can't do it. But mm-hmm. if I get, and they're not they're not holding to that really, are they? I'm surprised Fergus never said. How about bring Jimmy with us? I think because you're supposed to get the idea that Jimmy is like I've never had a home before. I've never had a family before, and now I do. I think Fergus, being a good guy, or at least the character is a good guy, uh, is not wanting to rip him away from that, not want to take that away, even though it's a mile away. I guess in those times, that's that's a <laughs> hundred miles. Oh, I I, um, I looked on Google Maps, four point two miles from Blackburn to Darwin. Yeah, that's that. That's essentially like if you were uh, dating, quote unquote, like a girl in middle school, and she went to the other middle school. That might as well be on yeah. the moon. But it, but it means when Martha was walking, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an hour and a half walk. See, this is what I was saying. Yes, <laughs> you're right. So I was confused last episode. I think I'd seen a signpost mm-hmm. that said Blackburn one mile, but I think that was 3.2 miles into the walk. And also, I, I just have to say this. It's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's fault that like my introduction to... Like the Moors and like British flatlands like that is is uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles. But now yeah. I just kept expecting like Sherlock Holmes to show up because there was a hound like mauling people on that road. <laughs> they do seem so. To- the, Taylor, the Moors are in Yorkshire. This is in Lancashire. Don't get all of Northern Britain confused. Northern England. The, they're all the same. It's fine. <laughs> well, no, you like, sound you sound a lot uh-huh. like Alfred, who I refers do. to everybody up in the north when he's sitting in the in Kinnaird mm-hmm. study. He says he he says, "How was your time with the great unwashed?" Mm-hmm. And then I I could not believe this is maybe my least favorite moment, while still being interesting. Just that then, at like uh, I always get them them confused. But but Lord Kinnaird, not yet Lord Kinnaird, basically mm-hmm. responds like, "Oh, but they just want the best." Like you know, they're all scared and and doing what they can to survive. And then there's the big laugh, and then there's the "Oh, you're serious?" And it's just like, "Wow, you guys really did that one." Like you went you went for that one, the laugh, and then "Oh, you're serious?" Cliche. <laughs> okay, okay, the English game. So apart from just setting up mm-hmm. the idea that Kinnaird cares about the working people more than yep. um, the rest of his teammates, I thought this was maybe a good point to get into some of his teammates because mm-hmm. that person who he's in the study with, and I think he's in the study with again later, yep. the guy with the moustache is Alfred Littleton. Mm-hmm. And just watching that scene, it occurred to me that, oh, these are probably really famous people, right? I mm-hmm. bet if we look, if I looked on the Wikipedia pages of these people, these would be some of the early founders of football. And they absolutely are. Yep. Alfred Littleton, the guy with the moustache, um, is, is one of the uh, early England internationals, early England cricket international. Um, he was also a member of parliament. And from 1903 to 1905, he was secretary of state for the colonies. So he's Deion Sanders crossed with Quatebec Blanco then? Cool. All right. Yeah, that works. Crossed with an old, an old timey British politician. Um, <laughs> uh, Quatebec Blanco, also... current governor in Mexico, my friend. Oh, is he? Oh, yes, I see. He I see. Is. My apologies. Um, I found out a little about his game as well. Hmm. Apparently, he was famous for being sort of one of the, the, the famous dribblers, right? Everybody uh, knew him as a guy who would just dribble with the ball, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, sort of what would happen with that old Etonians team, right? One person would dribble, they'd all crowd around him. That's just how they would get the ball forward. Um, in contrast to Fergus, who likes to pass it wide. He's the, the Guardiola um, of his time. Yeah. So 
Oh, I have a ahead, great story for you. I have a, I have a great story for Please. you. Alfred Littleton got one England cap, right? And when he played, he tried to. They were playing against Scotland, and he kept trying to dribble straight through the middle, and he kept getting tackled. Right. Mm-hmm. So a teammate who played for Sheffield called Billy Musforth said to him, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't just dribble the ball straight down the middle every time." And Alfred Littleton's response was, "I play for my own pleasure." Wow. All right. And and thus no more call ups. <laughs> no. Yeah. No <laughs> passing. Just playing for your own pleasure. I mean, I, that that wouldn't that wouldn't fly today. I don't think it flew back then either. Uh, I did see. Did you see a summary of uh, Arthur Kinnaird's game? Yeah, I saw him um, yeah. referred to as possessing um, a muscular Christianity. Uh huh. Did you see the thing about the shins? That was that was my favorite line. That was, that was yeah, a good was, burn. He was a tough tackler, right? It was. Uh, he exerted as much force on the ball as he did on his opponent's shins, or vice versa, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> on the shins of his opposition. Yeah, tough tackler, tough tackler indeed. He's also got a job at the bank, though, right? Working, mm-hmm. uh, working with his dad, who is not impressed that Kinnaird has come back from Blackburn, and is sort. Of, I, I think he sort of solved the mill problem, right, by offering them the loan. He brought um, like a hill of beans, Daryl, a handful of beans, a handful of beans, because he wants to get into business uh, with Stokes in the. Uh, the the soccer kit manufacturing business, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm really interested in how that turns out, since we don't that company doesn't seem to have um, a name that we can track into the future. I would I would bet you money that within the context of the show, that venture is going to work out very well. I see. I feel I see. like that's what they're going to do. Uh, I did. You mentioned briefly. Why is it Ted Nike? <laughs> I, I, I still think it should be Ted Umbro. That's what I think. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, the old Umbro family. Uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah, you mentioned it that we see the glimpse of the FA Cup, or at least I think you mentioned it in there. Uh, and I, I thought that was an interesting thing they did because it's it's like the FA Cup and him losing control of this sport that he feels like he helped create that kind of mirrors the miscarriage and he feels like he doesn't have control. He feels like he's not processing it or he isn't processing it. And it seems like he's not letting go of the FA Cup. He's also not letting go of that grief. And yeah. by the end of the episode, he's at least let go of one of them, I think. <laughs> I think. What what do you think of the, the shot of the FA Cup? Because the first time we actually see the trophy, I believe, in this whole show, and it felt weirdly ominous to me, as if the FA Cup was like some some malevolent force <laughs> that was being exerted on people's lives. But I might have been reading too much into it. I, I feel like it was supposed to be this magisterial thing. What I genuinely wrote in my notes was like, I feel like I would have been a lot more excited to see that if it were like 1986. <laughs> Why is that? Because I feel like that that would be the time period when like, oh, they won the FA Cup. It's a big deal. We're going to win the FA Cup. We're going for the Cup. Like, I still just keep having a hard time. Like, I like, I almost wish that somebody within the context of the show was was like, well, it's not the Champions League. Like, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I just need some uh, completely out of its own time period references to other tournaments <laughs> that are more prestigious these days. It's worth underlining for people, this was the only trophy at the time, right? There wasn't a football league or anything like that mm-hmm. established. You basically, you competed for the FA Cup. Or you just had kickabouts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's nothing, true. That's right? true. That's true. Yeah. You could probably, I'll bet at like colleges and stuff that you could, they were playing intramural type things mm-hmm. where like Oxford houses were playing against each other and what have you. But in terms of the whole country competing for a trophy, the FA Cup was where it was at. And, and I think I've asked you this already, but just in case I have not, I want to go back to like at that time period from what you understand, Daryl. Do you like would it have been this thing like Fergus Suter's always like it's the it's the FA Cup it's the FA Cup like he seems to really really care about it did it carry that weight do you think yes. in that time period yeah because there's okay. nothing else to win right yeah. there's no Champions League no one's talking about Champions League qualification True. or even winning the league or anything it's the FA Cup is the only thing you can win but like but like in Scotland that's I'm the magic a, of the cup it used I'm to be a, the only thing you can win but was there no Scottish Cup at that time period 
there's probably a Scottish FA Cup. Yeah, so that, I guess that's what I mean is like like to a foreigner, like Scotland foreign to England, like would do you think it would have had that resonance? Would a French person have maybe known what the FA Cup was if they were into football? I mean, they wouldn't be into football because it hadn't it hadn't got there at that time. Good call. See, there we go. Yeah. All right, cool. So All right, so it, so it within no sense within your within your island, uh, it was it was the, the end all be all. Yeah, and I, I happen to know, not from looking it up on my phone or anything, that the Scottish FA Cup started in 1873. Copycats. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the new one, but not as prestigious. That was the yeah. League Cup. I'll bet the Scottish FA Cup was better to watch actually because they were playing some passing football. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that <laughs> seems like a safe bet to me. Uh, All right, we- let's 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 move us along. Um, we have a quick scene of Alma and Monkey's wife, whose name I don't know. Is it Eve? Maybe um, Alma being invited to to join to get out of her grief and join them at the charity. Mm-hmm. Which uh, they don't say what the charity is, but we find out soon enough, don't we? Yep, uh, we we sure do. We're we're doing some charity work. We're we're having her again, like she, in the same way that Canard is meeting meeting with some friends, and like maybe he's like going to hold some practices. Uh, he talks a little bit about that in that last scene. She is maybe moving on. She's getting involved in some charity work. She's trying to occupy her mind uh, so that she doesn't just dwell on the loss of their child. All right. So we'll get to, we'll get to the charity work in a bit because mm-hmm. in between, finally, we see some football. We do, but before the, we get to the football, practice. should we tease it as much as they have and instead talk about today's sponsor before we get to the football? Absolutely. Who All is right. today's sponsor, Taylor? Uh, we haven't talked about which one's going first, Daryl. Do you have a preference? I was hoping you would choose. Let's talk about the athletic, shall we? Okay. Uh, our friends at The Athletic, uh, we, we love The Athletic. Obviously, we have the working relationship with The Athletic, but that is not the only reason why we love them. We love them because they produce great content, are continuing to produce great content with uh, 400 of the best writers uh, out there. I really, 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 and a couple more reallys enjoyed An Unofficial History of MLS in 25 Scandals, Pranks, and Improprieties, written by Pablo Marr and Sam Stashkol. I think I might have given credit to Paul Tenorio last time. It's Pablo and Sam, uh, and it I is see. terrific. That is where I learned that Quantum Blanco uh, is a current governor. Uh, <laughs> and the f- great quote, it's early on in the story, so I'm not spoiling too much. Um, he basically had a wad of cash that was around $10,000, but could have been more. Uh, one of his teammates asked him, why are you carrying around so much cash? Why don't you just get like an American Express black card? And he <laughs> responded, because, uh, they, the quote is, because, replied Blanco, who is now the governor of the Mexican state of Morelos, credit cards are for poor people. So he wow. would have played for old Etonians, I think, but in this context, <laughs> that story is terrific. He would, the bunny hop would have gone down well with the old Etonians. Probably, um, probably I'm so. pretty sure. Yes. <laughs> There's also a great story that caught my eye by Greg O'Keefe, mm-hmm. um, who's the Athletics Everton writer, writing about two, um, it's a really odd, odd story of two American uh, college players who got contracts with Everton during David Moyes' regime. And neither of them made it, but they sort of were just given a chance by by Everton, mm-hmm. and they were they joined the same time as Seamus Coleman, and only Seamus Coleman went on obviously to to play for the first team. But I think it's a good example of the type of story that the Athletic is running right now. Like maybe weird little stories yeah. that they might not have gotten the chance to run yeah. if there was a if the football world was still evolving. Right, yeah. right now we're sort of we're sort of frozen in place, and there's time to explore all kinds of weird narrative corners. And the Athletic is the perfect place to do that because that, like you say, they have those 400 full time writers and i and really would like go ahead i was just gonna say i really appreciate that david moise took that same approach to manchester united where he was like yeah anybody can come in what's the worst yeah. that could happen come on in play some <laughs> play some football it'll all work out come on maron oh boy oh boy <laughs> oh boy all right daryl anyway you were saying 
I was saying that if you would like a 90-day mm-hmm. free trial, so you can really try out and take a look at what The Athletic has to offer, it might be enough to get you through uh, this current pandemic. Uh, the 90 f- 90-day free trial, and you can uh, give credit to The Total Soccer Show when you take us up on this. Mm-hmm. If you go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer, that's theathletic.com slash totalsoccer. Link will be in the show notes for a 90-day free trial to The Athletic. That's three months provided each month only has 30 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said. One more time for those three months, go to uh, theathletic.com slash totalsoccer. We hope to see you there, and we hope that you have stuck around to continue to hear us talk about the English game, because as Daryl said, we've got some football, sort of. Finally, some football. Finally. So the, the way that the Old Etonians practice is they all turn up in the same kit, yep. And then one team puts on coats. Yep. <laughs> Which was cool. I enjoyed, like, yeah, like, uh, my wife uh, watching with me pointed out that, like, yeah, you didn't have sweatshirts, so you'd probably throw on your uh, your your outdoor coat, your leisure coat. I don't know these what that would be, your gardening rich. coat. These, these people are rich. Just mm-hmm. get some different colored kits. <laughs> uh, then, then I think the costume department would have to get different kits. So uh, they can afford on it as go well. the coats. Spend that Netflix money, Julian. Spend that Netflix <laughs> money. Um, so you do. You see a bit of football. You see a lot of the um, the dribbling straight up the middle in a pack. You also see a lot of. Uh, what I would call like blocking that almost looks like NFL style yeah. blocking right mm-hmm. like one person would dribble and if someone's going to step to tackle them then a teammate can just step across and prevent the uh, prevent the would-be tackler from getting in your way yeah. that's the biggest um, uh, I, I guess the biggest difference in the sport between now and then right this, assuming that this is somewhat realistic mm-hmm. I the other big difference would be that if you had like one of the most famous teams uh, of the time period, like if you had FC Barcelona just training in a park, I feel like people would show up and care. And that is a thing that like, uh, to be negative for a moment, I still have a hard time understanding like what these teams are. Like are yes. the, are the old Etonians, like are they this famous team that everybody knows or are they this weird like, oh, a bunch of bros get together and kick the ball around or they should be working at the bank, but instead they're out running around being hooligans. Yeah. Like I don't really know what they're supposed to be and I kind of wish we had a bunch of people with uh, parasols or whatever it is, like standing around watching them, being amazed that we get to see this or something just to, so we know how big of a deal they are or aren't. So when you remember the opening scene or mm-hmm. one of the opening scenes, you see Kinnaird going yeah, somewhere right. and there's a, there's a little kid is almost like, hey, can I get, it's almost like, can I get your autograph? And he's asking, like, are you going to win the cup this year? And it makes me think, oh, he's this celebrity. Yeah. And then Arthur Kinnaird is talked about as the first football celebrity. Um, but then obviously there's a lot of people looking down on the whole thing. So maybe that is, that's the, that's the key, right? Is the younger generation. I think it's important that that was a kid mm-hmm. asking him, um, is interested and the that older generation sense. is not. Um, the one thing I would say is that these guys are so rich that they can easily easily play and practice in a secluded area because they have access to a lot of grass um, yeah but uh, but i think the same thing's true when you look at um how many people are turning up for games it's not that well attended right mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that that is definitely it's true like U- usl league one or two level <laughs> uh and and i would say no shade meant to be thrown but uh significantly better dressed uh for for these games in this time period lots of top hats <laughs> and uh and suits but, like, but you know what i mean like i, I think because like, I think they're trying to show us that, like, uh, again, like, Canard's father doesn't approve of his sporting behavior. Fergus Suter's father, now, now we know, clearly also does not approve of it. So you've got that sort of parallel. But, like, I just, I need to know if that is just his father who is, like, disapproving. It's the older generation, but everybody else is all into it. Or is it, like, that these are a bunch of dudes who are blowing off work to go kick around a soccer ball in the park? Like, I just, I kind of want to know that just so I can get a better understanding of, like, what is supposed to be happening I- and who the characters are. Honestly, Taylor, I think you're going to see things that suggest either way, and uh-huh. this show's not going to answer it for you because it's not that well made. 
Ah, okay. So, so just take on the final season of Game of Thrones approach of like, kind you, of. you're not going to get resolution. Yeah. Just process yeah. that now. Yeah. All right, she, cool. she just decided to burn the city down. She doesn't need a reason. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say who she was. Yeah, sure. I didn't say who she sure, was. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I also, uh, practice, practice is called off early please. by yes. Francis Marindin, uh-huh. who says, literally, that's quite enough of that for one day. Um, but Kinnaird responds, nonsense, we've got at least another half hour in us, because he's also thinking about the, um, the, the teams that they're going to have to play this year, yeah. and that the Old Etonians can't take things for granted, um, can't, can't take it easy, they should keep practicing. Although but, really, they're just practicing running up and down, right? Dude, no, all right. Here's the other thing. They're not working like, on anything. Uh, like goalkeepers we know we've talked about it before are some of like the most in shape people they they have crazy good physiques these days back then maybe yep. not and i feel like if you're going to have this character be who he is you've got to go with like the goldberg from mighty ducks route of like he's got to be fat and he's got to be lazy that's got to be that like lazy of a character because for him to just be standing in goal and then be exhausted at the end of this it's like dude you have just been standing there we have been seeing you stand there you are not exhausted and if you're saying you are you are lying so unless it's the big dude he kind of lets that shot in right he lets Kinnaird shot in he's halfway through saying right that's enough of that before it's even over the line oh yeah yeah oh and jumping ahead we continue to have zero goalkeeping in this entire series I have not seen one save at all we should start a watch for first actual save in the English game. Yep. We have not seen a goalkeeper, no. including Stokes, looking at you, Ted Stokes, no yeah. saves so far. I would not buy any gloves that you made. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll come back a, to that one because I, I have more thoughts on Fergus Suter's final game, uh, okay. of this episode at least. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, quick historical note on Please. Francis Man- Marindin. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy with the, for anyone who's a bit lost, it's the guy with the beard who was in goal, the guy who calls off practice. He is the president of the FA right now in the show. He's the president of the FA from 1870 to 1890. Mm-hmm. That's but, Taylor, a decent chunk of time. Here's, here's a thing that it, it bugged me. I, I feel like it, this started with um, me thinking that it would be you who would be annoyed by mm-hmm. historical inaccuracies. It's me that's annoyed by this for some reason. Francis Marindin played for the Royal Engineers. He went to Eton. He never played for the Old Etonians. Not even once. Wow. Okay. So they basically just included that so he could come off like more of a jerk. Because they needed the president of the FA to be in the show, right? So rather than include the Royal Engineers, they uh, include him as an old Etonian. Yeah. Which is frustrating because I'm assuming that there were people who were on the board, I mean, Kinnaird being one of them, on that team. So you could have just as easily... Again, that's, I think, the thing that really is my number one complaint about this series is that it's like if you did one more draft on the script every single time, you could tighten it up and make it better. (laughs) All you need them to say is like... Oh, you want to take it up with the board? Well, like four of their members are here. You don't have to make it really specific. It doesn't have to be the president is here on this team when historically he wasn't. They do that a lot. There's a a few more of those complaints I have later on where it's just like, add two more words and this makes much more sense than what you've got right now. (laughs) I would normally say take some words away. I feel like there's a lot of also stuff that. that's way too on the nose. Yeah. I am feeling we, conflicted we could, about we could that take statement, words away. We could take words away, make lots of room, and add some words in to make things make sense. That would be fine, too. Uh, <laughs> I do enjoy the uh, people telling you how they feel. That's always, right? that's always good there's, times. There is way too much of that. Final um, interesting histor- historical note on ah, Francis Marindin. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a referee. So he's one of the first referees. While he was president of the FA... While he was president of the FA, he refereed seven FA Cup finals in a row from 1884 to 1890. Imagine so, the president of the FA refereeing the cup final. Yeah. So he was he was fit. He wasn't some goalkeeper who was complaining about uh, how long they've been practicing. He was out there running around. He wanted to be involved. He's missed. I mean, he's doing the early work, right, of uh, taking all the heat when you're a referee. So he, I think I think he's being hard done by in terms of reputation on this. Oh, show. you think? 
<laughs> the the one who completely dismisses all the teams that are playing and talks yeah. about poor people in the worst possible way you could. Yeah, I think maybe they're, <laughs> he's being a little bit hard done by the show. Okay, extra historical inaccuracy. You ready? Mm. You know, after they've had the practice, they yep. go back in and they're playing, I want to say billiards, it looks like. Um, and Marindin says... Uh, Darlington registered this year, along with another 147 teams, it's an epidemic. I looked this up. Uh-huh. Guess how many teams entered the FA Cup in the 1879 to 1880 season? Five million. I'm going to guess significantly fewer than 147. 54. Yeah, that's not the same. Those that numbers the same off numbers. By, that's off by nearly 100. Just, again, make it 162, and then we can just be like, oh, they tripled it. Got it. Make cool. it 54. <laughs> or that. But yeah, that's not as impressive of a number. That just sounds like right. a normal number of teams. Have they adjusted? For, did they just adjust yes. all the numbers for inflation? Like we did. I hope so. I, I, that's what I'm saying. Is like at least just triple it, and then we know that you've tripled the number, and then it can be really clear. Like, oh, okay, so they tripled it for dramatic purposes. Yeah, uh, making it 147 is is a strange one. It's a strange okay. choice. Can I ask you a question? You're sure. reading of this line as well. When they mentioned to um, Kinnaird that maybe he should lighten up because Alma's yeah. away and you're off the lead, which mm-hmm. means off the leash, obviously yeah. in in English. Um, is there a suggestion that a suggestion that he should be cheating on his wife? I think. Or am I misreading that. I think it's a suggestion that like he, he's being he's being uh, in their minds like a Debbie Downer at, in this moment like he just keeps talking about like the plight of the poor he's taking everything very seriously he wants to practice all the time he doesn't just want to hang out and like shoot pool and have drinks and smoke cigars so I think they're saying like lighten up she's not around you can do whatever you want you're a free man and I think that's why we then have the scene of him eating dinner in his full tuxedo by himself yeah, I called it the sad solo bow tie dinner. Which was actually, I thought, a really effective scene. Uh, albeit, again, heavy handed, but it shows you that, like, yeah, his friends are all out saying he should be having fun. And instead of, like, being out partying, he's not really enjoying it anymore. He doesn't seem to be enjoying football. It's more work, it's more labor, which is yeah. maybe a way he's distracting himself. But it's also then him going home and eating by himself and being sad. And again, sort of not just being out uh, in denial, blowing everything off. He is actually processing stuff. He's just doing it in a very sad, lonely, eating by himself sort of way. I thought it was really effective because he didn't say, I am sad and lonely. The, yes. the, the picture of him really well-dressed, yeah. but on his own, like, it's, it's visual storytelling, right? It's what TV should be. It's what Vince Gilligan would have done. It, it is. I, I also <laughs> have to say, uh, I, 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 drew, I drew like a joke from another show uh, that I think maybe works here. I'm not sure. But do you remember in Arrested Development when Buster starts going to work with Michael? Yes. And they have a board meeting and, and I think Buster's line is like, we are just blowing through nap time. Like I do, <laughs> I do look at some of these scenes of just like, they must have spent so much time getting ready for things. Like we see them on the football pitch and the next scene is him in a tuxedo yeah. looking off formula as they play billiards. And then he's in a different tuxedo for dinner. And it's just sort of like, wow, they are that the wardrobe changes must have taken up a lot of time. Like I feel like they did like one and a half hours of actual businessy work a day and the rest of it was just wardrobe changes and getting ready for other events. Well, they did have what? valets to um, help dress them Mm -hmm. so it's really you just sort of stand there and someone puts the clothes on you is that the same thing as a valet i'm not asking that uh, like ironically or jokingly is that is that a british american thing or british friends thing i guess yeah i'm working class okay oh so you're one of the unwashed ones got it i am Mm -hmm. yeah all right (laughs) that's that's good (laughs) i don't feel great saying that uh (laughs) shall we move on to our next scene or should we uh talk about other things first Let's move on to the next scene. Right, um, cool. Betsy Crunshaw. Mm-hmm. Betsy Crunshaw gets fired. So she is finally showing a little too much. Um, she gets fired because it is a crime to be pregnant in Blackburn. I mean, obviously. Obviously. I didn't quite understand that. I guess just because she'll just be a less effective employee. Like, is that No, what it is? it's a whole... I mean, you can tell with the, uh, the, with the interview she has at the Brookshaw Refuge um, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, to have a child out of wedlock is a sin. But why and would they know that? 
if you're the cotton masters club, then you can't have someone who's like sinned who's working at your establishment, right? Because to them, it looks bad. Oh, so this, okay. So I think, okay, this is really bad. But I think where I'm coming from is the idea that like, say you are like a person in power who happens to own a bunch of country clubs, let's just say. My assumption yeah. would be that you don't necessarily know or care about who works there as long as they're serving you the way you think is right. So I think that's where my brain is coming from. But you're right that there's probably given this time and era and the sort of intrigue that probably existed everybody would have been in each other's business and they would have probably known that they had an unwed woman who was now pregnant is that yeah, a, i mean is that fair okay i mean because she was showing right so the the evidence is there that's, well i, I guess my, my thought was like but she how do they know she's unmarried is i guess like why do they just assume like oh you must be unwed and therefore you cannot work here i would imagine the tradition way way back then was once you oh, uh, good once call. you're married yeah. uh, you're not working your husband's working and you you're a homemaker mm-hmm. right Right. You, I think you're looking at this through a very 2020 lens, Tony. Oh, uh, 100%, for sure, yeah. for sure. You're right. You're right, I am. <laughs> All right. So she, she's showing, and that is, that is the worst possible thing she can do. Uh, I guess so. And, yeah. and you, can, you can spit in the food and everything. You just can't be pregnant. <laughs> Evidently. You also can deliver uh, even more cliched lines than we've already discussed. I'm not like you. I'm not strong. That is, that is just some very like on-the-nose writing. That Oh, uh, is that what she says to Martha? Yes, yeah. yes. And then Martha says, well, let's get you to the refuge then. Mm-hmm. So they take, they take Betsy to the Brookshaw refuge, which it turns out is the charity that Alma was going to go and visit because her friend is, I guess, a patron. And there they are greeted by someone called Mrs. Cartwright. Yeah. So I put two and two together and made four. This is the Blackburn chairman's wife, right? Oh, it must be. But that doesn't feel like it would be the case. I think we're, this is the way of weaving all the stories together, because otherwise, why are we even here, right? So I think Mrs. Cartwright has to be married to Mr. Cartwright. No, I think you're right. I think that makes sense, because, you know, it totally does. I think I just assume that Cartwright is in the same social status as Canard, and thus, like, there's no way he would let, like, Alma... Like, again, we're going from that, that time period. Uh, women should do what they want. Uh, but, like, there's no way that Canair would have let his wife do that or wouldn't have been okay with it. But you're right. I think Cartwright is supposed to be, like, similar to Walsh, like, a little bit lower down the totem pole. So maybe, he's, yeah, yeah. like, it is then acceptable. But, yeah, yeah he's so that middle That's class, interesting. Right? All right. Yeah. And then also explains, because she is not the friendliest of people, explains mm-hmm. maybe why, why Alma was, uh, was a companion that he needed. There we go. There mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. Is that a, is that a good way of saying had an affair? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to frame that. Oh, for, you said Alma. Uh, you meant Mar- you meant Martha, right? Yes. Excuse me. Excuse me, Martha. Yes. 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 How dare you accuse Alma of infidelity? How never, dare you? Never. I mean, she is you. Miranda. I said that on the last episode. But aside from that, that you're right. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. <laughs> also, when Mrs. Cartwright, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure wife of no, Mr. Cartwright. You're right. You got, that has to be. Yeah. Because otherwise, why name her that? Right. Um, when she initially greets Alma and uh, Monkey's wife, I'm sorry, I can't remember Monkey's wife's name. She uses that line about um, how my husband is a big fan of of your husband. Right. There so, it is. Yeah. yeah okay. There we go. You're right. so he's, obviously, you're right. he's obviously a football fan. But then she delivers the line, football makes widows of us all, which feels like that that might be true when football becomes really, really popular, but that can't be true right now. No, I guess other than, yeah, no, it cannot. I don't understand. That was a weird line. That was a strange, strange line. Then again, she's kind of a strange character because, again, she's oddball, right? he's running a charity, but at the same time is very mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and that was, that was again, I think, like, I think that was confusing for me is when... 
uh, Betsy says, like, I'm not like you, I'm not strong. Um, it's because I have Alma in my notes because I'm stupid. But Martha it, uh, basically says, like, not Brooksall. And she says it in this way that, like, like my wife turned to me and was like, is it a brothel? Is that what she's saying? Like, is she going to be pregnant at a brothel? And th- it made it seem very severe. And then she instantly was like, okay, well, let's go. And then we go there. And I kept it, like, I was like, is it, are they going to abuse her? Like, is it not a good place? So I, I felt like, again, that was sort of murky and confusing that it's yeah, a charity was, organization that was set up for, like, to benefit, like, women who were sort of outcast or had nowhere else to go, but simultaneously were being judged the whole time and looked down upon. And maybe that's the way it was. But again, that was just sort of confusing structurally. Yeah, I think, yeah, like I was expecting like a Magdalene Laundries kind of situation. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, but it's not it's not a very welcoming environment, right? Because in the interview, there's that very creepy man who asks way too intently, yeah. how many men have you sinned with? And how did you mm-hmm. come to sin? He just seemed way too interested in the details. Yeah, and I thought it was weird that she responded, how many is your mom sin with? That, that seemed out of character. And <laughs> didn't, you want her, didn't you want her to punch back in that meeting? She, oh. I think she did well to hold her tongue because I, I would have been laying fire on all those people. I thought it was going to be, and it would have been even better now knowing that it was uh, his wife was Ms. Cartwright. It would have been better to be like, only Mr. Cartwright. <laughs> that would have been the like <laughs> mic drop of the year. But instead, it was, it was just uh, uh, Charlie Brand who joined the army. But I guess, are we supposed to... I guess they're not supposed to know who Charlie Brand is, right? She's just It's just establishing that she does know who the father is, and it was only yeah. one time, and then he abandoned her. So she is a sympathetic character, not, you know, a woman who had sex with multiple men and is therefore completely undeserving of sympathy, which, again, is how I think they were trying to structure that. Which, yeah, again, it's a 20th true. century mindset. You're right, but it's still, still just a little strange. All right, before we get to mm-hmm. uh, the, the big night out, before we get to the big night yeah. out, today's show is sponsored by... The Black Tux, theblackturks.com. No one at Jimmy's Big Night Out was wearing a tux. They were a little underdressed. Right. That's because theblacktux.com had not yet been invented. That if it had, then Jimmy and Fergus and all the other guys could have gone to theblacktux.com. They could have um, selected uh, their suit or tux to buy or to rent, and it would have been delivered well ahead of time. So they could have made sure that it fit, and then they could have been well-dressed for the occasion. Yeah, because e- even uh, Doris, I think Doris, uh, Jimmy's betrothed now wife, was... Uh, went to thenicedress.com and she got a nice dress for their wedding. Jimmy was just wearing, you know, like button-up vest tie sort of. It's what he always wears. He didn't make it special, but if he had gone to the Black Ducks, he could have. And Jimmy seems a bit taller. We've talked about that. He seems kind of lanky. Maybe there's some like different proportions, different measurements that are required. Again, that's where the Black Ducks would have been useful, Daryl, because you can (laughs) find the suit or tuxedo that fits you. They, uh, You basically send them your measurements. They've got the algorithm that helps make sure that it's accurate. But if it's not, when they send it to you, you can send it back so they'll make the final adjustments that you need and then send it back again with plenty of time so that you are good to go you look very good you look properly dressed for your uh wedding or uh major event or whatever it might be and if you want to get 10 percent d- dinner alone if you want to wear that tuxedo to dinner alone we've established <laughs> that's a thing you could also do that sad solo dinner yeah you can go to theblacktux.com and get 10 percent off with the code soccer that's theblacktux.com slash excuse me theblacktux.com and use code soccer for 10 percent off your purchase the black tux formal wear for the moment here's what i would like to do daryl i don't know what the prize should be but we know that people have a lot of time on their hands uh i don't know if people have the like financial uh fluidity on their hands or whatever but if you do I want somebody to recreate that scene. I need someone to get a, a tux from the Black Tux and then recreate the scene of of uh, e- eating alone by yourself the way Arthur was. I need a photo of that <laughs> with you with your candles and your tuxedo on. I don't know what the prize should be, but that would make me laugh uh, to Hasht- no end. Hashtag stay at home sad dinner challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly less popular than some of the other ones that are going around. 
Okay, so the next scene, it's mm-hmm. Jimmy Love's wedding night out. It's sort yeah. of like a stag do, right? Or yeah. a, what a bachelor party type thing, you would call it, um, in the United States. It's in that pub, the only pub in Darwin, which does a good trade by the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does. The big thing here is that Fergus is sitting alone mm-hmm. instead of celebrating with his best friend and just plowing through a bottle of scotch. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which is uncharacteristic for him. We know, yeah. uh, especially with how uh, seriously he takes the game, takes like the night before the game for him. There's to a be- match the next day. Yeah. There's a game against Derby St. Louis the next mm-hmm. day. Yeah, and I have done what he did uh, the night before a game, and then I have played the way he did during the game as a result. Yes, I do. Actually, I want to talk about that, but let's talk about that when we get to the actual sure. scene of the sure. game. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so right, uh, right now we've got Fergus going through that bottle of whiskey, not really enjoying the night out. It looks to me like he's working up the courage mm-hmm. to uh, tell to tell Jimmy, to tell his teammates, to tell Mister Walsh that I've taken that offer and I'm going to move to Blackburn, and he just doesn't know how to say it. Yeah, and so instead he uh, self-medicates with the booze. Yeah. Uh, and, do, you think and he's I think, thinking, do you think he's thinking, okay, one more glass and I'll have the courage, one more glass and I'll have the courage? I, I think maybe that's what he's thinking, but I think what manifests is the sort of very natural thing of I'm just going to push everybody away and like act as though this is for the better benefit of everybody that I leave. And so I think maybe there's also that as he's trying to, he keeps trying to like push everybody away, push Martha away, push Jimmy away, push Walsh away, and then it, and then it, he can feel like, well, people don't even want me here. I'm not actually that good for them. And yet in this scene, every single time between this and the actual wedding scene, it just keeps getting hit over the head of how important he is to the town, to the team, yeah. to his friends, to his employer, to everybody else. So I think he can't really do that, which probably exacerbates the misery. But then Davy Burns turns uh-huh. up. So former teammate at Partick, Davy Burns, former teammate of Fergus and of Jimmy, has now signed for Blackburn. And very noticeably... Davy Burns is very well dressed. He, he looks sure like is. he's gone to the blacktux.com. And I think Davy Burns looking way better dressed than everybody else is a symbol yeah. of how you can dress yourself if you take the money and play for Blackburn. Yes. So you said it there. So they did play together then? They were like, because I know he said like he's from Partick. Yeah, they're okay. Partick teammates. Yeah. Because right. it was strange that he then went with like father, like son. And I was just like, do you know the father too? You know both Fergus and his dad? All right. Well, yeah, because he probably knows Fergus. So then he's met his father at some point, right? And probably they're from Glasgow. So they're just from the neighborhood. They probably all know each other um, just from being around. And to be fair, Fergus was getting kind of pink cheeked and pink nosed at this point. Yes, that is true. And then he and then he goes in uh, and goes full Begbie, correct? He does go full Begbie, headbutt. I gotta say, Davy Burns maybe should have taken up boxing because he takes that he takes yeah. that Glasgow kiss yeah. uh, very, very easily and mm-hmm. just responds with a punch to the face. Yeah, you got the distinct impression that it was not the first headbutt he had suffered, and it was also yeah. not the first bar fight he had been in. Wasn't even a big deal. He didn't even have a cut afterwards, did he? <laughs> no, this is again representative of like th- the time period that I grew up. But in the first Jackass movie, there's a scene in which one of them fights Butterbean, who is a professional boxer, and he's like, "Go ahead and hit me once," and the guy just tags him in the face, and he's like, "There you go!" Like his like head goes and comes right back, and then he punches the dude in the face and knocks him out, and it's just like Oof. that's what this fight felt like. Was like, "Oh, you got one in? Oh, that's cute. Here's your punch back, and down you go." And down you go. Yep. Luckily, Martha takes care of him. Yeah, she Martha does. takes Fergus home, takes care of him, and they have. A very tense conversation. It feels like the um, working, the unwashed version of Kin- of Arthur Kinnaird's uh, tense conversations yes. with Alma. Yeah, it does. It does, and that's where the uh, "you're a puzzle off the field" line comes from. Yeah. It also, uh, you can't let your father shape your whole life. Uh, a, a solid line, and another theme of this series. It definitely seems to be that uh, men trying not to be their fathers uh, is a thing that everybody does, and then a thing yep. that many men, uh, most men, all men, maybe fail at. Here's the thing as well. I 
I really, really felt strongly with these couple of scenes that yep. having had the scene early where the father was obviously a drunk and obviously was abusive to uh, Mrs. Souter, mm-hmm. and then you have this scene with Jimmy, sorry, with um, with Fergus getting drunk and hitting someone. Yeah. You didn't need all the stuff about the father to be spoken several times from people's mouths, right? Like a- anyone, even the least sophisticated viewer, would be able to figure out that this is uh, mirroring his dad's behavior. Am I right? Like, I don't understand why any... I kind of any... didn't put that together. I'm being totally honest with you. Really? <laughs> no. Even when he said, like, fa- he's more like his father th- or like father I, like son. I, I took that just as more like, oh, he is calling him his father. Like, it's, it's, my brain is so weird, dude. All right, here's another, like, non sequitur example. I watched my wife clean our cast iron skillet the other day with the sponge that we used to clean all of our dishes. Do you know that you're not supposed to use, uh, a, like, like, soap, like dish soap to clean cast iron? I don't own a cast iron skillet. So there you go. So you're not supposed to do that. She was using the sponge that we always use, and then I realized she wasn't using soap. And I was like, wait, are you not using soap with the sponge? And she was like, no, I'm just scrubbing it down, and then I washed again, and then I scrub it again. And I was like, it never occurred to me that you didn't have to put soap on a sponge. Like, it didn't occur to me that you could just clean without soap. And that blew my mind. Uh, And this is another one of those moments where, like, I knew what they were doing. They were sort of saying, like, that's going to enrage him because he's calling him his dad. But I didn't connect it with the fact that this episode began with his drunken father punching somebody. And now he's drunkenly headbutting somebody. Yeah, yeah. Didn't make that connection. So, no, I guess maybe I'm I'm, – I'm maybe not the smartest, or maybe I am the target demographic. Who knows? So maybe that language does need to be there, then. Yeah, that could be. And maybe maybe even more clearly, since I still didn't make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they needed an extra couple of lines. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I needed them to turn to the camera and say, Hey, Taylor, are you making this connection? Okay, good. You needed Jimmy Love to say, He hits him just like his father hits people. <laughs> Which which would have been a very Jimmy Love thing to say. <laughs> he would, right? In yes. his his charming Scottish brogue. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and then mm-hmm. there's the there's the proper football scene. It's the FA Cup third round. Darwin versus Derby St. Luke's. Mm-hmm. A game, Taylor Rockwell, which absolutely never happened. Of course. Of, of course, course it didn't. St. Luke's did not enter the FA Cup until 1884. The closest match I can find to this is the second round of the 79-80 FA Cup, where Darwin lost 3-1 to Blackburn Rovers. All right. Okay. So maybe they didn't want to do that because that would have been too confusing. I thought it would have been dramatically good to have Darwin oh, lose right. to Blackburn and then and then and Fergus then goes ship. and plays for Blackburn. Yes. I'd love to that if I could been... get if I could get Julian Fellows. I would ask him why did you not go with that? Because that's unforgivable. Because that's too obvious. Like what they're trying to do this whole show is show you that like he is desperate to save his family. Still don't know what was in the letter, by the way. Still confused by that. Uh, we can talk about that or not. But uh, I think he's so desperate to save his family. To Mom get them is out doing of it. okay. That's what wasn't in the letter. You think that's what it was? Yeah. Okay. Uh, genuinely, do you really think that? Because I was, I was, I kept waiting for it. Because I assumed it was like, is he, is he expecting money from them? I don't quite understand. But that, no, that I would think, make sense. I think he was looking for some sign that things were okay with okay. his mum's situation with the abusive father, uh-huh. and there was no sign of that at all. Yeah, but the whole thing I think is meant to be that he's trying to save his family. He's trying to get them out of that situation, and so he has to take this offer. He keeps saying that. They don't yeah. really establish, like, what I think would have been really interesting is if there were sort of, you don't know, is it that he's trying to save his family and thus is taking the money, or is it just that he wants to play for a better team and wants more money? Because I think that would be that struggle would be just as compelling. But he keeps saying, I had to, I had no choice, I have to, I have yeah. to. And so I guess I feel like if if he were still trying to make that argument and then it was also the team that they were just beaten by, he then jumped ship to move to even as like a viewer who doesn't quite know the history i think most people would be like oh no he's just jumping ship because they're better and they have more money and you wouldn't be able to kind of keep that narrative of him as this tortured hero 
Okay, that makes yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, I can I can live with that. But I, I wish they had because you're right. That would be way more compelling and make him a more dynamic character. But I guess that's me thinking too much about the football stuff and not enough about the uh, the broad dramatic strokes that they're trying to paint. See, right? It yeah. seems like you thought more about the football stuff than Fergus Suter did. Yeah, apparently, because he turns up, what, 30 seconds before kickoff? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously hungover. I mean, they've all been drinking, but at least they were all there on time. They didn't each drink a whole bottle of whiskey. So Fergus has been drinking a lot more than everybody else. Um, and it looks like what happens is they mm-hmm. keep playing the ball to him. Like, he sits deep, right, in the 2-3-5. Um, he sits deep and he's supposed to, like, maybe evade someone with a, a move and then spread the play with some nice passing and set everything up. And essentially, if I was analysing this as a proper football match, which I probably shouldn't, but I can't help it, it looks like Derby St. Luke's go for a high aggressive press yep. and they just knock Fergus over every time he tries to orchestrate things from the back. This is the most realistic scene of, of football I've seen. Specifically, this is what it looks like when you play soccer hungover. Yeah. Like really, really, really accurate. Every part of it, including the moment when you do actually go on like a little bit of a run and you're like, I'll prove to them that I'm still good. I'll have a shot. And then you hit it over. Or what I wish oh, the happened. Mo- you mean the moment when he should have squared it to yeah. Tommy Marshall, but instead shoots over. Yes, I 100% agree. Because I wish th- that he had shot that straight at the goalkeeper, though. But and it- then the goalkeeper <laughs> makes a save and it's that much more humiliating. The goalkeeper just catches it because we haven't seen a goalkeeper make a save. So the idea that he has such like, so ineffective that even his shot goes right at the goalkeeper and is easily caught that would have yeah. again been a like oh wow he's having a really bad game so let's talk about this hungover soccer thing oh, i will say okay. i haven't done it in years um Nor mostly I. because it just got harder and harder as you get older and older right mm-hmm. but definitely in my early 20s maybe even to mid 20s i would occasionally have a night out the night before and like try and drink some water and think it would be okay but mm-hmm. it is never okay no. in terms no. of your performance right I would say what Fergus did today is the maybe the number one no-no when it comes to uh, playing soccer with Daryl and being on the same team as Daryl. Because we've both had that experience. We've lived it, as you said, like like years and years ago. But more recently, we've had that experience of like a player showing up that we're kind of counting on and realizing, like, oh, you are not prepared for this. And you smell like alcohol. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Uh-oh. And it does mess with the whole team morale, but it definitely is a frustrating thing in the moment. Yeah, the last time... I really remember doing this was the first time I played my now brother-in-law uh, many, many, many years ago um, when I was still uh, dating dating his sister, dating my wife at the time. We played, and I was, like, totally going to, like, get up her and, like, impress him. And then I had uh, so many drinks that I think the first thing he said to me was, I can smell the whiskey on you. And I was like, oh, good. And then I think the first pass that came to me, I lifted my foot and it went straight underneath and went to one of their teammates. And I was like, that's, that's great, Taylor. You're off to a flying start. And then I think I literally had that moment where I did go on a run, felt like I was good, and then shot, like, 20 feet wide. Ooh, so yeah. I've got a worse. I've got a worse story. What you um, got? One of the last times I did this, I'd be twenty-one, maybe twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm at home in the Midlands. I've got a friend who's at university and is studying sports. Right. So I was playing wing back for our team. We played a three-five-two, and I played right wing back. Um, and because I was obviously covering a lot of ground and he had this university project where he was like measuring uh, the heart rate of people, you know, uh, covering long distances, he had me wear a heart monitor um, and filmed me the entire game playing wing back. And I chose the night before that to <laughs> drink way too much and turn up and play. Really? And, and we lost. And I, I asked him afterwards, like, oh, can I, can I see the video? And he said, you don't want to see it. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. You don't My, want to see it. The, the thing that uh, I learned playing football uh, and watching the film is it's never as bad as you think, and it's never as good as you think. So that you actually were as bad as you think is, yeah. uh, is a feat, my friend. Apparently I can't worse. believe that, because that is so... 
Daryl Daryl is such a like responsible person. Like in in at least in my experience of like if we have a thing to do in the morning, Daryl is like prepping for it. He is making sure he's ready. He is making sure he has thought about it and put himself in the right like emotional state to deal with it or to process it or whatever. That that sounds totally like a different person, which maybe shows how how young you were. I mean, it was eighteen nineteen years ago, right? I thought you were going to say it was the 1890s. I was like, oh, okay. So you're immortal. That's good to know. You were there for this game. Speaking of, should we get back to the 1800s? I suppose we probably should. uh, Yeah, so Shooter's Tackle every time he gets the ball. You've already mentioned the the scene where he doesn't pass to Tommy Marshall. Mm -hmm. Tommy Marshall is justifiably really, really angry. Um, Obviously, uh, Ted Stokes can't make any saves because no goalkeeper ever makes any saves in the 1800s. And Darwin lose 3-0 to Derby St. Luke's. And one of them, this is where, again, like, we're out of the cup. That didn't need to be said. (laughs) It was established. And I think, was that Stokes who said that line? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember who yelled that. Well, whoever it was was wearing a neckerchief and still had their newsboy hat on, like, during the game. That was was an interesting approach (laughs) to uh, being prepared. Oh, that guy's name is, like, uh, I can't remember his name. I want to say his name's Tom Hiddleton, but that's the... uh... The Loki actor. Right? I think it's I think it's uh, Hattie McNeckerchief is the character's name. That, that that guy genuinely has a name and is a historical footballer. I think, um, but I I can't remember his name right now. Um, so, but you can guy. remember Alfred's name and Lord Kinnaird's name. I sure can, but that's because mm. I wrote them down. Um, so, <laughs> we have another scene then with Alfred Littleton, the mm-hmm. mustachioed future Secretary of State for the Colonies, um, and uh, Arthur Kinnaird. This is again in Arthur's study, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, I'm confused about what's being suggested here where Alfred talks about how he used to um, f- feel sad finishing a book about adventures, but then yeah. he would start a new book about adventures. Yeah. Is Alfred suggesting to Arthur, you should try for another child? Or is he suggesting you should try some other women? So I think this is, again, sort of bad writing slash character development because I think Alfred is meant to be a like positive friend character and instead we've seen him in those dinners kind of being dis- dismissive of the uh, the uh, working class and stuff like that so it's hard to get a grip on it but I think what he's saying is like yeah like this was this story ended sad but there's another story to be had so yeah go try for okay. another kid just because one didn't like work out doesn't mean that you should just mourn for forever and never move on again if you want to go the historical route worth noting that I believe at this point uh, Alma had just had their third child but whatever it doesn't matter it doesn't matter narrative uh based on historical events we'll just keep going and just to uh, to stay on theme alfred does after he sees that arthur is sad mm-hmm. um he goes and does the victorian hand on shoulder yes. and then after he's put his hand on his shoulder for a bit he really like like then steadies himself as if they've just both had a big cry yeah and then, and then it was it's again like the most emotion you can express as a Victorian man. I think well, that, that was shoulder. that was just because he hasn't been social distancing, and that's why they put in the scene of him then putting hand sanitizer on. That's why he looked so like kind of frigid in that moment because he realized he'd made physical human contact. <laughs> it, did, it did seem like a big deal to him, though, right? And he was almost like proud of himself for expressing such emotion. Did he in this scene? Because this is one again where like I I thought I knew what was happening. Did he end up taking the cup, or does he leave Alfred or Albert? Excuse me, Arthur. There's too many A's in this one. Uh, does he leave Arthur with the cup still? I was confused by that whole thing. They seem to attach some importance to what's going on with who's delivering the cup, and I didn't understand why it mattered. Unless oh, uh, it was oh. honestly, it seemed like just an excuse 
to get Alfred and Arthur in a room together. I think oh. it might just be a plot device. No, I think no, I think it's that it's that uh, Arthur is not giving like in the same way that if we won uh, the league title, like our our local amateur league, like lets you keep the trophy for like that the off season, right? And then for the yeah. rest of the season, but you've got to give it back before the season's over. And I think it's as though you wouldn't give that trophy back because you're so proud and you want to hold on to it, and also because if you felt like you created it and maybe there's a decent chance you're going to lose it the next time, which I think is what they're setting up, you wouldn't want to part with it. And so I think he is holding on to it. Am I? guess is that we're seeing uh, Alfred be very polite, but this is probably the oh. like Victorian equivalent of like, hey man, they need the trophy. You should have given it to them already. I'm going to take it. Like, And I think it's I meant see. to be that not only is he holding on to the loss of his child, he's also holding on to the trophy. And these couple scenes are him. That's why I thought it was going to be like, yes, you can take it. Like, we were going to name our child Henry. You can take the trophy. Would have been like one and two of him. Like, oh, okay. So he's now processing it, like the loss of his kid. And then also he's giving the FA Cup trophy back. So he's kind of moving on and moving to the next adventure. Thank you for spelling that out for me. I'm, I'm really glad that that now makes sense in my head. Yes. Yeah, well, so maybe Jimmy like, Love should have like said that too. That was like, so it's Arthur holding on to the past, literally, right? I, yeah, but I'm now obsessed with the idea of Jimmy Love just walking into every scene like, oh, he doesn't want to part with the trophy. It's like, like oh, okay, cool. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, next scene. Rabbits. Next scene, Betsy, Betsy Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. given birth by leaning on a chair. Yep. Is that, is that just to show the passage of time? I think it's to show her giving birth so that we know that the baby has been born, right? Um, but like, then we, to what end? For what purpose? Other than like, oh, yeah, Alma still wants a baby. Got it. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else is going on in this scene. Yeah, that, that, that confused me because I was like, oh, and again, the weird, like some stories are taking a really long time, but then other ones are that like she decides, she gets fired from work, decides to go to the place and then gives birth within like four minutes. Just in time. Yeah. Just in time. Mm -hmm. All right. Then we get a shot of Jimmy in the bath. And I've got to say, seeing this very tall man in a very small bath made me happy that we now have showers. Yeah, it really. I thought that too. I was like, oh, so they had to do like the heating up the water and then pouring it in slowly. So Doris probably still had to draw him the bath. The thing that I also couldn't stop focusing on, it made me have to rewatch this scene because I literally could not focus on the dialogue. Because all I was thinking was, this is a scene in which we had to start with Fergus in the room. Because otherwise, it would just be so weird for him to like, I guess maybe it wouldn't be like if he knocked on the door and walked in and Jimmy was in the bath. But just the idea of like, and we're starting a scene with Jimmy in the bath and Fergus is fully dressed and they're just having a conversation. Cool. I guess that's how close they are. But it was, it was again, just a weird thing of like, you couldn't just show Jimmy on the bed getting ready for his wedding and then Uh Fergus leaves and then he starts doing the, like, uh, the wedding vow resuscitations. And I guess for me, the point of that scene was for Fergus to realize that, um, it would be impolite to Judas it up all over Jimmy's wedding. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. to essentially, and he says this to Doris afterwards, doesn't he, right? That he's going to, mm. um, Doris figures out that, uh, that Fergus is leaving. She thinks back to Scotland, but um, she's not quite right, but yeah. she's close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Fergus just realizes, I definitely can't say anything until after the wedding because I don't want to ruin, you know, Jimmy's big day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he doesn't he doesn't ruin Jimmy's big day. He also doesn't go to Jimmy's big day. That was another one where I was like, was there a wedding? Is that not a thing that happened at the time? Yeah, I think I think we just saw the after party, right? Yeah, I guess so. But it was weird to me. I, maybe maybe they stayed after for photos, as, as one does at a wedding. <laughs> it was just weird that like they were going to the wedding, and then everybody seemed to already be well into their cups at the bar when uh, yeah. the uh, the bride and groom showed up. 
But I can see if there's nothing dramatic happening at the wedding, mm-hmm. then it's quite an expensive film to see, right? To literally, you have to probably, it probably cost as much as a wedding to rent a church and get the dress and get all the people there. That makes sense. Like, like why have a wedding when there's no drama at the wedding? But there the could wed- have been the drama, right? There could have been the exact same scene of like, little paper boy goes by extra, extra. I'm assuming evening edition of the newspaper. <laughs> Fergus Suter changes clubs and then that destroys the wedding. And then it maybe even more dramatically than it does ruin the wedding because it is Jimmy's big day and it's overshadowed by Fergus leaving clubs. Well, it would have been very rude if Tommy Marshall was reading the paper in the middle of the wedding, right? I mean, it depends on how long that service was. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to the, the big reveal mm-hmm. um, yep. because the next couple of scenes are the baby's actually born. Then we cut back to Jimmy and Doris practicing their wedding lines, which is actually mm-hmm. kind of a, a sweet moment. And it, it had me thinking about how it's sort of making it a little more okay for Fergus to leave to leave Jimmy, right? Because yeah. they've been everywhere together because he's almost like handing Jimmy off to Doris. Yeah. So he can and, feel a little less guilty about at least that part of it. And it's probably also showing his increased alienation because it's like Jimmy is like literally marrying into the town. Like he is going to be yes. there. His wife is going to be there. He's bought into the team. He's bought into the factory. This is his life now, whereas Fergus is feeling very much the opposite of that. And so I think this mm-hmm. further drives home that like, okay, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I just got to keep moving. I have a question about Jimmy. Hmm. Um, Jimmy Love is a famous footballer, right? Mm-hmm. At the time. Like he was, they tempted yep. him down from Partick with some money. First, uh, by and the way. The, they tempted and the histori- him down first. Yeah, the historical story is that he came down first, right? Yeah. Yep. We never see Jimmy really do anything on the field, do we? No, we do not. No, we do not. And lest we forget, in the first episode, he is recognized by his face. Like yes. he is recognized upon sight as like, and that's Jimmy Love. And it's like, yeah, yeah it'd be great to see him score an upper 90 goal or something like that. Instead of just being like, Fergie, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, he's more than like a Sam Ganji. For uh, I, I, I could do that better. Hang on. Fergie, what are you doing? That's more of what, <laughs> what it is in the background. It's always off camera. But yeah. <laughs> but don't you think it's unfair to like reduce him to just being uh, yeah. Fergus's like conscience or something? Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I guess he's getting a love story. So that's good. But yes, yeah, it would have been nice so. to see that he, he backs it up on the field. Because you, you would expect, like, he has a little bit of that swagger. He's got the confidence of, like, yeah, I, I know that I'm good. So I wouldn't mind seeing that and then seeing him also, you know, be, be lovable off the pitch as well. I'd, I'd at least like to see him win a header or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, we can... <laughs> in, in, the diff, in the, like, traditional sports movie, he is friendly and he is good. And in this game, it's like Fergie... It would be like Fergie sets him up and he gets crushed. Jimmy Love gets crushed in that game where Fergie is hungover. And you see him like, oh, he is good. But in that situation, he gets destroyed because Fergie's being selfish. We yeah. didn't even really get that, which would have been useful, I think. Hmm. Oh, oh, and then we, we cut away to the Kinnaird family estate in Scotland, which must be yeah. nice to have if you're the yeah, Kinnaird right. family. Um, and Arthur has finally got over his grief, planted some trees and planted Henry's wood so they can go there together to remember um, Henry, which is what they would have named the baby. Mm-hmm. I've got to be honest, I felt a lot of relief at just having this storyline settled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's settled, right? Would we assume that that was uh, closure or conclusion? At least closure in terms of them um, sort of reestablishing their relationship and not being distanced by his inability to deal with his emotions. Um, I have a a slightly morbid uh, point to put on this one. Uh, I was confused as to how they knew it was a boy. Because they do say we were going to call him Henry, not like if it was a boy we were going to call him Henry. Margaret, my wife, pointed out... um, Given how far along she was, you would have yep. been able to tell. Uh, so that that is why. So that did actually make sense in the end. I thought for a moment, like, did they have ultrasounds? I'm confused. But I had that- the exact same conversation with my wife. There we go. All yeah. right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and it did seem strange that like this episode begins with like the plight of the impoverished, and Kinnaird seems to be more sympathetic than ever. 
and it ends with him like, here's our palatial estate. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay. So you all really are living a different lifestyle. Cool. They sure are. Yeah. They sure are. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the Henry's Wood is planted and we assume yep. will grow and that'll be a place for them to remember Henry. But then we go back to the actual wedding party. We skip yep. the wedding. We go straight to the wedding party. Everybody's enjoying themselves. Fergus is about to give a speech as best man. You can see he looks a little embarrassed, but I think he's about to rise to the occasion and give her a, give at least a half-decent speech, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tommy Mahashaw, reading the paper, um, notices that Cartwright has put an ad in the paper. If you want to see uh, Fergus Suter play, come and watch him play for Blackburn next week. Yeah, and and I don't know what they're going to do with this one because we have I have not seen the next episode at least. But I, I still, again, this feels like lazy, murky writing to me. Because, like, if Cartwright did that, then the question then is, like, did he do that on purpose? Was he trying to stir up some drama? Because Fergie said, like, give me a couple days and then yep. I'll be able to come play for you. So Cartwright does this. So is this, like, him doing that on purpose? Is this just him jumping the gun and being excited? Are we going to see Fergus get mad at him? Or is it just sort of a convenient thing that happens to move the plot along? I'm interested in that too because it could be that Fergus took too long telling everybody yeah. or it could be that Cartwright jumped the gun and didn't take Fergus's feelings into account at all mm-hmm. and that sets us up for um, a very bad start to life at Blackburn at the very yeah. least, right? But, yeah. but see, I feel like the, the, the thumbnail for the next image is, is Fergie clearly in Blackburn colors, like hands in the air celebrating, laughing and it's like, well, that doesn't seem like he's going to start off very upset with Cartwright. So yeah. I have a feeling we're just going to whoosh right on past that one. We'll find out. I do like that the final scene is Fergus walking to Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And I sort of do like Four miles. In 4.2 miles. Um, <laughs> even though this is a, there's a lot of like hitting us over the head and telling us what's happening, they've at least established this visual storytelling thing where if you're walking along this big patch of grass, you're walking between Blackburn and Darwin. Yeah, they have, they have showed us that. I, I hope that they filmed all of those shots at once. That would have been terrific. <laughs> Just a lot of walking up and down. Yes. Like, all right, Fergus, you're walking by yourself. Okay, now you're walking with somebody else. Oh, now you're in a carriage. Okay, cool. <laughs> We're going to get all the walking done in this one shot. So I'm interested to see what happens in Blackburn with the, yeah. uh, the, first, the first big transfer. Do you, do you think, are we, how done do you think we are with Darwin? I think there'll be some sort of rival rivalry with Darwin, right? I'm sure Blackburn will end up playing Darwin, maybe, or at the oh, very so least. Maybe we'll see that game. I think but now so. Now they just move it around. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's and possible, then, and, right? And they're going to win, but Fergus will feel very sad, and Walsh will walk away from him, and we'll see that he's 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 a tortured individual all along, and not just a money grubbing guy. Yeah, and guys like um, I've forgotten the actors' names, but uh, Mr. Walsh and mm. Jimmy Love and Martha, they're all sort of listed quite highly in the cast yeah. if we were if we were doing like the um what's the doug benson game the leonard Moulton game oh yeah uh, they were they're all listed quite highly in the cast and we're only yeah. halfway through right we just mm-hmm. finished episode three if they were all gone after three episodes then they wouldn't be listed as highly right you'd have to introduce a whole new cast in blackburn for example so i'm pretty sure there'll be some some drama next episode about what's going on there I hope you're correct. I think yeah. there are outliers to that one. But yes, I hope you're correct. Ooh. Okay, actually, I've got a question for you. Do you feel the show warrants the continued attention we're giving to it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Okay. I, I mean, it probably wouldn't if we had other live games to be covering and watching, <laughs> but that we do not. And I mean, as I said, like, it's, it is entertaining. Like, we're, we're, we're breaking it down a little bit, probably way more than most people would. Uh, yeah. but, but I think, as I said, like, at the end, I'm still, like, ready to watch the next one. My wife was ready to watch the next one as well. So I do feel like it's entertaining enough. Uh, it is not, it probably doesn't warrant, like, the level of, like, 
Breaking Bad-esque detail that we're getting into, like the way some people break down Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or whatever, we yeah. are definitely breaking down this show, and maybe it doesn't necessarily need that. <laughs> I guess we're sort of, um, as my grandma says, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? If yes. we're gonna, <laughs> if we're gonna <laughs> talk about the episode, then we're gonna do it this way. Yes. Yes, that's fair. Yes. I mean, that okay. is our style. That is, yeah. that is the way we do things, I guess. It is our style. But it's not all English game on the Total Soccer Show. What else we got coming up, Taylor? Um, English game episode four review <laughs> and nothing else. Uh, we've got an interview with another uh, national team member, a, a very influential national team member uh, that we have mentioned in the past. But uh, we're going to get more insight from him on his some of his like biggest games and what it was like and what he's been up to since then. Uh, that will be out uh, Saturday, I believe. Uh, sounds, like someone who played, sounds like someone who played right back and sometimes center back. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. We'll find out. But yes, it is that person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then uh, Sunday, we're going to have a new episode of Allocation Disorder. Monday, Ryan Bailey and I will be back to discuss uh, some of the ways we're staying busy, uh, but specifically the podcast that we're enjoying uh, while we're away from soccer. We'll also probably do some updates from the world of football. But uh, yeah, mostly about what we've been doing, what we've been listening to, just sort of a catch up there. Uh, then you are going to be doing some interview. You're doing an interview with uh, Sam Ty, right? About yeah, the we're going to talk England. about the, the England national the team. England, so we haven't yeah. checked in on England for a long time. I think Sam would be a really good guy to talk about what's going on with yeah. the England national team um, and how we're looking for Euro 2021. How are you looking for Euro 2021? You'll find out next week. You'll All right. find I look, out I look forward week. to it. We also want your listener questions. Send them to totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Send us your questions. The link will be in the show notes, but you should also be able to remember totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Yeah, you should. All right, Taylor, unless there's any other business, I will close by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to me, the great unwashed, today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I doff my cap to you and I say right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening and we will talk to you again very soon.